Today's scripture comes from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this wonderful psalm. Thank you for your word. Lord, would we be instructed by it? Would we be transformed by it? Would we be made into the image of your son, Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is John. I'm the executive pastor here. And and today, uh, we are looking at one of the most beloved chapters in one of the most beloved books in our beloved Bible. Psalm 91, if you're familiar with it, likely holds a special place in your heart because it's a psalm about God's protection for us. In fact, more than that, it's, it's the psalm about God's protection for us, isn't it? And because of that, it's one of those psalms that if you've ever memorized a Bible verse, maybe you've memorized Psalm 91. It's the the psalm that we memorize. It's the psalm that we recite when we're going through trials. It's the reason why it's known as the soldier's psalm, because throughout history, soldiers in the midst of war have recited this psalm as a prayer to God. And it holds a, a special place in my heart. It's personal to me because this is the psalm that I heard my wife Sarah reciting when she was going through a difficult labor. So if you know this psalm, if you've memorized this psalm, if you've prayed this psalm, then I don't need to convince you this morning that this is a good one. I mean, they're all good, but this is a good one. But if you don't know it, I hope that by introducing it to you, it will become a faithful friend in the midst of trials in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to examine this psalm, and I want to examine it by looking at at three categories, three categories, helpfully. First, God's protection. Second, God's promises. And third, God's plan. Three Ps, very helpful. Protection, promises, plan. God's protection. Psalm 91 opens with some of the most famous, eloquent poetry in the whole of Scripture. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. You see, if we just take this, these two verses, if we look closely at just these two verses, we can see that the psalmist is really painting a picture that he's going to paint for the entire psalm. He's packing in so much in these two small verses. If, if you notice, you can see it, maybe we'll leave it up there. There's four metaphors for security matched with four corresponding names for God. Shelter, shadow, refuge, fortress, most high, almighty, the Lord, which is Yahweh, and my God. So, so what's the psalmist trying to do here? What, what's the picture that he's trying to paint for us? Well, let me tell you a story. Uh, a little while back, my family spent some time in Osoyoos, and, and we timed it perfectly because we had great weather the entire time. Apart from on the last day, if you've been to Osoyoos, they get good storms. So on the last day, a storm comes in. And on that last day, me and my eldest son, Oliver, we were playing tetherball. And he's two, so I was, I was winning. Um, <laughs> But our game was rudely interrupted by a crack of thunder, the sound of thunder. Now, Oliver, as I say, he's two, he'd never heard thunder before. And so as you can imagine, he freaked out. He had an almost existential crisis. His, his eyes widened, he, he burst into tears, and he ran for cover. But I don't need to tell you, do I, that he, he didn't run to the trees. He didn't run to the vacation home. Guess where he ran? He ran to me. You see, scared and vulnerable, fearful for his life, existential crisis, he ran to the only place that he knew he could be safe. He ran to his dad. I was his refuge. And this is the picture that the psalmist is painting for us this morning. He wants us to know that in the face of danger, in the face of evil, in our vulnerability, in our fear, there is a place of safety. Like Oliver running into my legs at the sound of thunder, God is, for those who trust in him, a place to run to. And maybe that's all you need this morning. Maybe we could leave it there this morning. Maybe that's the thing that you take with you this morning. You put it in your back pocket and you carry it with, with you in the week. The single truth that the God of the universe, the Most High, the Almighty, Yahweh, which is the Lord, my God, would position himself for us, would offer himself to us as a, as a refuge as a safe place, as a shelter, as a fortress. Now, after having told us this incredible truth, the, the psalmist is, is going to unpack the following verses by explaining just how good this is. And he's going to do that by showing us just how necessary it is. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. The psalmist here is is unpacking what you might call the comprehensiveness of God's protection over and above an almost inexhaustible list of evils and dangers. Now, I understand that this particular list may feel foreign to us. And guess what? This is because it is foreign to us. This, This psalm was written for an ancient people who, like all ancient people, were vulnerable to almost everything, right? They're vulnerable to the weather, to, to the elements, to, to attacks from neighboring tribes, from disease. It is difficult for us to relate to the, the consciousness of an ancient mind, isn't it? In 21st century Vancouver, when we've got all of this protection around us from the elements, from disease, but we still feel vulnerable at times, don't we? There's still moments when we feel vulnerable. We might not know what it feels like to fear the arrows that fly by day, but, but we know what it feels like to be attacked, don't we? Maybe that's what you're going through this week. You might not know that the snare of the fowler which is poetic language for the trap of the hunter. You don't need to be a Christian for long to know that we have an enemy that wants to trap us. Strangely enough, the one thing that we seemingly have in common with these original readers of this psalm is is a mutual fear of the plague. You don't have to live long to know that we are surrounded by evil, brokenness, bitterness, insecurity, violence and oppression, you don't have to live long to know that we are in desperate need of a shelter, a metaphorical shelter from all of the evil in this world. Christ City, Psalm 91 this morning shows us, tells us, God himself shows us, tells us that he offers himself to us as a refuge and a fortress. God's protection. Secondly, I want to look at God's promise. You see, this psalm is all about God's protection, but I want to unpack God's promise here. Now, my wife has a great story from when she was in university. And I've, caveat, I've got permission to tell this story. Um, I don't know if you remember, but Netflix hasn't always been the uh, mega online platform that it's always been. There there was a time when uh, they delivered DVD rentals via mail to your door. Who remembers that? Remember, there was this small phase of Netflix where they would deliver a, a hard copy, like a physical copy of a DVD to your door. It sounds prehistoric now, doesn't it? But but that's what they did. And, and one day, Sarah at university received a DVD in the mail. But here's the problem. Sarah wasn't signed up for Netflix. And the DVD was not addressed to her. Now, a civilized person would maybe, I don't know, leave it alone, leave it on the side, wait for the person who rightfully owns it to come along, but not my wife. Sarah went ahead and opened it. And more than that, 
She went ahead and watched it. Sarah's there watching this movie, and of course, halfway through, there's a knock on the door with someone asking if she'd seen a Netflix delivery. <laughs> Sheepishly, she gets the DVD out of the player, and until this day, has not seen the end of Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> Why am I telling this story, other than to embarrass my wife? Uh, well, it's because... When we read Psalm 91, I think a legitimate question to ask ourselves is, is this addressed to us? Is this for us? Or are we reading someone else's mail? Let me explain what I mean. Look at the end of the psalm with me. Psalm 91 ends with an almost interruption for the Opening 13 verses, the psalmist has been speaking. It's been the psalmist's voice for 13 verses. And now in verse 14, God interrupts the psalm. It's, it's God's voice speaking. And he says this, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, or I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful summary of the comprehensive protection of God. If you look closely, there's eight I will statements. I will deliver. I will protect. I will answer. I will be with you. I will rescue. I will honor. I will satisfy. I will show you my salvation. It's so rich, it's so beautiful, it's so comprehensive that we can understandably get caught up in the promise, but we can miss the conditions of the promise. Let's look again. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. Do you see what this means? Psalm 91 is written not for anyone and everyone. It's written for the faithful one. It's written for those who are faithful to God, those to, who hold fast in love. You know, a good summary of the history of Israel in the Old Testament might be this. God positions himself to Israel as a refuge and a fortress for them. He positions himself in that way. And Israel constantly, continually wanders from out of that protection. Psalm 91 is written to the one who, who truly holds fast to God, who, who looks to God, who calls to God, who, who makes God his refuge. The implication of this is that if we don't hold fast to God, we remove ourselves from his protection. Which leaves us in a potentially awkward position, doesn't it? Like Sarah with the DVD. This psalm might not be addressed to us. Now, I know this might sound harsh, but, but have you held fast to God in love? Have you cried out to him? Have you turned to him? Have we not found our refuge in, in all sorts of other places other than God, like the Israelites did? 
What right do we have to claim the promises of Psalm 91 for ourselves? What right do we have? Now, before I get emails telling me that I've ruined your favorite psalm, let me just quickly get to the good bit. Let me get to the good bit. Christ City, why did Jesus come? Why did he come? Was it to, to teach us some new things? Was it to, to be an example, a moral exemplar for us? Was it to, to start a movement? Was it to overthrow the empire? Was it to bring down the strongholds? Yeah, all, all of those things. But, but why did he come? Jesus came to hold fast perfectly in love. Jesus came to know God perfectly. He came to call on him perfectly. Jesus came perfectly to fulfill the promises of God, to fulfill the conditions of the promises of God. He came to be the faithful one. He came to live the life not that you could lead if you just tried harder. He came to live the life that you could not lead in order to give us the promises that we could not fulfill, we could not claim for ourselves. You see, in our weakness, we, we, we can't hold fast to him, so he came to hold fast to us. You know, in, in our ignorance, we, we couldn't know God, so in Christ, he came to make himself known to us. In our pride, we, we haven't called on him, so the word of God became flesh to call us. Christ City, when we put our trust in Jesus, the promises of Psalm 91, which are his because he is faithful, he can claim them. They are now ours in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the promises fulfilled. That's the conditions of the promises met in Christ. That's why we follow Jesus. Not because we ourselves can be faithful ones, but that he is the faithful one. And we entrust ourselves to him. Now, at this point, I want to acknowledge some pushback. There's a pushback to all that I have just said that says this. It says, John, okay, I can see what's written on the page, but I'm finding it difficult to reconcile that with what's going on in my life. I mean, I appreciate that Jesus has enabled me to claim these wonderful promises for myself, that Jesus in himself, the faithful one, has fulfilled these promises. But John, I don't think it's working for me. I don't think they're working. I have experienced evil. I, I have experienced suffering and pain. I thought this psalm says that God protects me. I've put my trust in Jesus and I don't feel protected. I think that's a valid thing to say. God's protection. God's promises. Finally, God's plan. God's plan. 
I'm going to be bold here and say that there is a wrong way to read this psalm. There's a wrong way to read this psalm. And, and the wrong way to read this psalm is like the small print on an insurance policy. Like, like when I say God's protection is comprehensive, you're hearing comprehensive cover. As if this is a list to, to hold up to God and, and hold him accountable to, as if, as if we're making insurance claims against God. You said you would cover me. Here's how I know this is the wrong way to read this psalm. Because Satan reads it like that. Satan reads it like that. Look at verse 11 with me. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, now these verses in Psalm 91, they might be familiar to us if we've ever read the Gospels. If you don't know the story, just before Jesus started his public ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted three times by the devil. And the second temptation goes like this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. What was going on in this scenario? What was happening here? Well, Shakespeare has a famous line in his play, The Merchant of Venice, and it says this. It says, the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. The devil can cite scripture for his purpose. That's what's going on here. The devil is citing scripture for his purpose. He's saying, if you truly are the son of God, claim the promises of Psalm 91. If you truly are the faithful one, then these promises apply to you. He got that bit right. If you're the faithful one, Psalm 91 applies to you because guess what? It's written for the faithful one. It's written for the one who holds fast in love. He's saying, God said you'll be protected. Prove the policy. Make the insurance claim. Test God's goodness. Test God's faithfulness. But here's the difference between the devil and Jesus. The devil used this psalm to test God's protection. Jesus used this psalm to trust God's plan. The devil used this psalm to test God's protection over him. And Jesus uses this psalm to trust God's plan. You see, Psalm 91 is not a call to test God. It's a call to trust God. To trust the plan of God in our lives. To trust that he is good. To trust that he is faithful. You see, Jesus rebukes Satan for reading Psalm 91 like an insurance policy. And so we should be cautious to do the same, surely. What I find interesting about this temptation at the start of Jesus' ministry is that, is that he will face it over and over and over again, but he will also face it profoundly at the end of his earthly ministry. You might know the story, but right before Jesus is taken to be crucified, taken to be killed, he spends time in a garden called Gethsemane. 
It's a place where he is preparing himself to die. It's a place where he's preparing himself for the cross. It's a place where Jesus prays to the Father, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, even in the garden, right at the end, at the, at the threshold of his crucifixion, he's trusting the Father's plan. And then look what happens. Right after this moment of resolve, this moment of resolve in Jesus to face the cross, to not my will, but your will, Father. When Jesus is being arrested, his disciples try and stop it from happening. One of them draws a sword. They try and stop it from happening. They, they try and protect Jesus from what's going to happen, but they don't understand the plan. And Jesus says this, the interesting words. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should Scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? Do you, do you see? At the start of Jesus' ministry, the devil tried to get Jesus to call upon angels to rescue him. He tried to get Jesus to test God rather than to trust God's plan for his life. And now at the end of his ministry, faced with certain death, Jesus knows he has the option again as the faithful one to call upon angels to protect him. But once again, he trusts the Father. Christ City, Psalm 91 is not a psalm that, that magically protects us from all of the trials of life, from every suffering, from every danger. It's not an insurance policy that we hold up to God and we say, you said you would protect me, God. Prove yourself, God. It's a psalm that reminds us that when we trust God, when we entrust ourselves to him, when we make him our refuge, he is faithful to deliver us through the trials. It's not that we're protected from suffering, but we are protected through suffering. Think about this for a second. Jesus trusted the Father not to protect him from death, not to protect him from death, but to deliver him through death. And we know that he was faithful because we know how the story ends, don't we? Jesus did die. And was buried, but was delivered through death and on the third day raised to glorious life. That was the plan. That was the plan to make a way through suffering. To make a way through suffering. And not just through the suffering of this life, but ultimately and finally through the terror of death. That was the plan. And as Christians, those of us that follow Christ, those of us that claim Christ as our Lord, those of us who claim the promises of Psalm 91 for ourselves, we follow Christ, not avoiding suffering, but trusting him through the suffering. Not avoiding suffering, but trusting him through the suffering. So the question this morning is, will you trust him?
in your, in your circumstances right now, whatever you're going through, the particulars of your life, will you move from a place of testing God to a place of trusting God? Will you read Psalm 91 as Jesus did or as Satan did? Will you move to a place, a place of knowing that, that ultimately, as Paul said, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, I, I want to acknowledge I want to acknowledge that life can be really messy and ugly, and you can feel the brokenness, and you can struggle at times to see any goodness or beauty in it at all. But the message of Scripture is that we can trust God through the suffering. The message is that we can know that even in that mess, even in that brokenness, even in all of that, God in his sovereignty can work all things, all things, even what you're going through right now, all things together for good. That's what it means to trust God. So will you trust him? Will you trust him? Christ says he Will you trust him? Let me close with a story. When I was in my early 20s, I went to help at a youth camp in Russia. Now, I'm sure it's exactly like the sort of youth camp that you went to as a kid, so imagine all of that. But now imagine in Russia. Honestly, it was, it was wild. It was so wild. We, we traveled somewhere north of St. Petersburg to a location in the middle of nowhere. I was terrified. And one of those days, the plan was for us to take all of the boys on canoes to an island uh, on this lake. I think it was supposed to be an initiation thing. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, we packed up enough supplies for a couple of nights, and we went away to this island. And when we arrived, we realized that we had made a fateful error. We'd left the tents back on the mainland. <laughs> Classic. And we didn't have time to go back. And so what we did is we, we, we tried our best to construct a shelter for 15 boys using only our wit and ingenuity. And let me just say this, it is to this day one of the worst nights I have ever had in my life. Huddled together with 15 Russian boys, freezing cold, wrestling with Russian-sized mosquitoes. I'm sure we're on steroids. Horrible. Here's the point. Not all shelters are created equal. For some of you, you have spent your entire life, like me in Russia, trying to construct a shelter, trying to protect yourselves from the vulnerability that you feel, from the evils in this world. From... And like me in Russia, maybe you found that you're having a terrible night. You're having a terrible night. 
And some of you, even, even considering yourselves as, as Christians, but what happens when the storm comes is it exposes where you truly find your refuge. You see, in some sense, Oliver didn't need to tell me that I was his refuge. The storm showed me. My encouragement for us all is that today, Psalm 91 says that God offers himself to us as a refuge and a fortress, that his protection is comprehensive over every evil. He is sovereign over everything. And that as we profess Christ, as we claim Christ, we also claim these promises, not to save us from suffering, but to save us through suffering and through the suffering of this life, but also through the terror of the night, the terror of death.